dangerously close on enough handouts. If we need more, we can certainly go get a couple copies. Uh, if you were able to attend the marriage conference uh, this weekend, uh, it was, I think, a blessing. I was talking with someone today about um, kind of the fruit of a marriage conference uh, can can permeate into a lot of different aspects of a ministry. Um, and so I've got something. I got it. Was something in my mouth. It was. Thank you for breakfast. It was a little bit of a, a leaf from a strawberry. Uh, it was good though. It's probably because I was like, rrr, rrr, rrr. I was going to ask for prayer for me to stop eating the strawberries in the back. Um, but a, a fruitful, a church that has fruitful marriages will be a fruitful church, not just because your kid town or your nursery grows, but it is an institution designed by God. Not to imply that God cannot use uh, single individuals. Certainly, we rely on the Lord fitting all of the members of the body together, but it is uh, a blessing when when marriages and families are, are running smoothly. Uh one of the things that came out of it was I was talking with a couple and they realized that I was, I was actually talking to the guy and he said they realized, he realized of, of uh, the marriage conference that he had, they had been married I don't know, more than a decade that he had been doing it right the entire time and his wife had been doing it wrong um, <laughs> so so probably missed the point a little. But I will say there is a theme in that. Today we're going to be talking about that which goes on around you that isn't actually for you. Uh, it isn't actually, or at least maybe not, maybe not primarily for you. And um, so our situation, our, our story picks up in Exodus 14. And this is the victory and the deliverance. This is it. This is the, this is the Red Sea moment we've been waiting for in, in Exodus. And I'm probably going to just minimize the Red Sea moment for, for a, a little bit of the message. We won't read the entire chapter. We're going to be grabbing snippets from it. But in Exodus chapter 14, verses uh, 1 through 4, we see the situation. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before an Piha-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea over against Baal-Zephon, before ye encamp by the sea. And for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon his, all his hosts, so that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Uh, and they did so. And and so, uh, so that you have an exercise in, in front of you, a, a, a list, I think five, uh, five folks. What do all of these folks have in common? And you can, there's a lot of things, like for instance, they're all human. They all have one nose. That's not the kind of thing I'm looking for. They what? They all have two syllable names. Wow, that was not what I was thinking. Naomi. Yeah. 
Naomi has a uh, nice try, though. How's your eye doing? Is it okay? Um, well, so they are all in the Bible. Still not the level of specificity that I was thinking. They, they were used to deliver. Stephen, I would argue, and I tried to be purposeful, I would argue Stephen, Stephen in the New Testament, right, he's preaching and he gets martyred. I'm not sure he delivers. Three out of five. Three out of five. They all died. They all died. That's definitely true. They all lived. They had eyebrows. I, you know, I need more specificity. Yeah. Oh, oh, go. Yeah, you. Yeah. Them at a specific time for a specific purpose. Use them at a specific time for a specific purpose. We're getting closer. Strangers for the. Wow. Strangers. Stephen was in his hometown. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's okay. That's fair. That is okay. That's not what I was after. But that's a fair uh, assessment. I, yes, it is a good answer. See? Went to the marriage retreat. <laughs> This weekend knows how to do it. Okay, fair. But I was going to say, I, so, ah, I, I, gonna say, I told you the answer. To your point, again, they're all used for the common good of others. Right. They they all went through something that was, I would argue, primarily for someone else. Right. Okay. Primarily for someone else. We're studying it in Genesis with Joseph. We see it in Esther that she was such a time as this, put in the position of the queen, uh, you know, so that she could be a part of the deliverance of the Jews. Naomi goes through losing, you know, her husband and her sons, goes through a really difficult time. But God uses that situation to bring the Ruth along with her, part of the lineage of Christ. Uh, Jesus, obviously, I mean, a lot of things happened to Jesus that were for others, including ours, admonition. And Stephen, same thing. Stephen's preaching the gospel, the message of Jesus as the Messiah, and is martyred, and God uses it to, as part of the transition, God uses it to hold the nation of Israel accountable. Uh, as it's literally the last time they have the chance until the Lord Himself comes back. It's the last time they they could have accepted Christ as as the Messiah. So each of these folks went through something that wasn't for, or that wasn't necessarily for them. It was for God's greater good and and for others. Okay? It was for others. And I want to look at this story in Exodus 14 through that lens. As I was telling you that, I realized I gave away the answer to the first question. But sometimes, look at this, sometimes what you're going through isn't for you. Sometimes what you're going through isn't for you. 2 Corinthians 7, 6 and 7 says, Nevertheless, God, that comforteth those who are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, or not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you, when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. So, there's three parties in this verse. There's Paul writing it, the Corinthians that are receiving the letter, and Titus. 
kind of looks like Titus had to, had to put some mileage under his shoes just for the purpose of bringing the report back that encouraged Paul. That is a really, really cool place to be in ministry when God is using you to bless others, not just to grow you or for you. Like, that is very Christ-like when he is working in your life so that others are blessed. Okay? A mature Christian, we're going to, I'm going to, you know, spoiler alert, I'm jumping ahead. A mature Christian, a Christian who is looking more like Christ, will self-sacrifice so that others are blessed. Others are edified. That should be, if you will, a goal in our spiritual journey. We continue, actually, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, which obviously occurs before chapter 7, but I wanted that one first because it's kind of it's a little easier with Titus. But this one, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So this is going to get, I'm going to get in your business. I love you. I'm sorry. But what you're going through may not be for you. What you're, what you're dealing with, the struggle, the lack of faith, the challenges, believer, they may be so that you can teach somebody else. They may be so you can point back and say, God took me through this for you. I'm meeting with a, an individual in, in our counseling ministry and you know, or as a part of our counseling ministry. and It is amazing the number of things that they say that I can point back to specific days in my life, specific seasons of my life, where I literally said the same thing. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, I've been there. I, I understand. I totally get what you're saying. But you gotta, you got to trust the Word. you got to trust, not necessarily my experience, but trust the Lord that He can deliver you from this, that He can provide. And you say, wait a second, why, how, Mitch, how in the world are you getting this out of the nation of Israel? The Lord specifically took them to a very, uh, 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 it was almost like he gave them GPS coordinates, which honestly GPS coordinates would have been easier to read than some of the names, Pahalath, Migdal, Baalzephon. Like he's literally telling them a very specific place that strategically is a bad tactical move. And we're going to find out that he doesn't, that God does this not just for the nation of Israel, although it's partly for them, that it's also what he's doing with Pharaoh and with Egypt. So being vulnerable at the Lord's direction isn't really being vulnerable at all. It's called faith. Pulling back the, the, the curtain of your heart, laying your yourself out in front of other people, in fact is not vulnerable. It's ministry. <laughs> we had a uh, panel discussion, I guess. Uh, panel, A panel at the marriage retreat. 
uh, people could submit questions anonymously. One of the first questions was, is this anonymous? Next question was yes, because they were trying to respond to it. And then I said, they're anonymous unless you put your name on it. And then people started asking questions, signing it Kenny Morgan. Um, I think one of them was not Kenny Morgan. Um, so that was fun. But someone had asked a question, and, and Michelle and I were on the panel, and she answered the, the question, and I, I thought it was pretty straightforward and, and very... You know, just it was about our kids and when it was appropriate for them to get phones and how she and I had to work through that because of the attacks that can come through that and how we were, you know, how she had to not defer to me, but we had to work through it and she had to trust me as the, the head of the household and, and evidently somebody came up, came up to her and told her how much they appreciated her transparency or her openness. And... And the reality is, like, that's our job. That's our, if, if I can't stand up here in front of you and be transparent, like, this is broken. <laughs> now, there's a point at which y'all don't need to see my dirty laundry any more than we need to share dirty laundry, right? But we have to be, yeah, amen, indeed. <laughs> we have to be vulnerable. Because vulnerability is where we break down the walls and real progress can occur. The nation of Israel had to be vulnerable for Pharaoh to follow them. Had to be vulnerable. In Luke 5, verses 4 to 6, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, uh, I would argue one of my favorite phrases in scripture now when he had left speaking he said unto Simon uh, Jesus has said unto Simon launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft to, to, to capture, catch the fish and Simon answered answering said unto him master you know I happen to be a professional fisherman <laughs> we've toiled all the night and the fish are clearly on, on the other side of the lake and have taken nothing Nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when he had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. If you can capture this concept, nevertheless, at thy word, I will fill in the blank. If you can capture that concept in your life, your ministry, your growth in the Lord will exponentially occur. Okay? If you can look Jesus in the face and say, I've tried my way, nevertheless, at thy word, I will minister. I will sign up to be part of hospitality. I will, I will be willing to go through discipleship. I will willing, be willing to disciple. I will go on a mission trip. I've tried doing it my way, but nevertheless, at thy word, I will, in this case, Peter says, let down the net. So being vulnerable is a form of faith. Okay? It's also, notice, it's a sign of maturity, and I touched on this, it's a sign of maturity to put others, I think I, I missed an S there, to put others first. I know I've shared this in teaching. I couldn't tell you when I said it. I'm getting older that way. If... If I have said it from this very pulpit in a, maybe three weeks ago, just act as if it's the first time you've ever heard it, please. 
few years ago, I started editing my emails. I do a lot of emailing work. Started editing my emails to remove the word I as much as possible. Okay? Because I wanted my communications to be recipient or other person focused. And it has tangibly changed how I do my work. Tangibly changed how people view me in the, in the workplace. And if you can do the same thing in your life, where it's not, I have this problem, I need this, I think God's doing this in my life. Like, if you can turn the narrative, that is more like Christ. Christ very, I mean, look, we, we have to use I and me in grammar to make sense. So it's not like, at some points, I've, I've, I really, I'm like, I just got to give up and I got to use I. You know, it's like, it doesn't even make sense. The sentence doesn't make sense if I don't. But Jesus really focuses, I mean, it is the purpose of his, of his coming was for others. Okay? And his communication is others facing a lot. Even when he talks about himself, often it's in light of what he's doing for others. It's also a sign of maturity when you think about what God might be taking you through for others. If you're struggling with something, consider that the Lord may be taking you through it for your spouse, for your kids, for your disciple, for the person you don't even know yet, that's not even sitting next to you, that's not present in this class or in this church yet. The Lord's taking you through it so that you're prepared to minister to them at, the, uh, at some point in the future. So our first victory principle today, stop assuming it's all about you. Like, you know, Christy sat up front, Shannon sat up front, so I'm just going to jump right on her toes. Like, careful of your feet. Like, I'm just going to jump on y'all's toes today. Stop assuming it's about you. Stop assuming it's about you. Look at our passage in chapter 14. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp over in those places. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are tangled in the land and the wilderness that shut them in. Notice in verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians might know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Literally, the re- a big... Like, could the Lord have taken them a different way and not taken them through the Red Sea? Yeah. And everybody really focuses on the Red Sea deliverance because, I mean, it's a big stinking miracle. Like, it's a big deal. I'm not minimizing what the Lord did. But he did it because he led the children of Israel to that specific spot. And he led them to that specific spot because he was doing something in Pharaoh and Egypt's life. Not in their life in particular or alone. Right? He was definitely building faith in them. But it was really about them. Stop assuming it's about all about you. So it brings us to our struggle. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and all his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? 
It's an important phrase that honestly I think we, we over we read a lot over a lot. And he made his ready his chariot, and he took his people with him, and he took six hundred chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt, and captains over every one of them. So there's a reason they took chariots; they could catch up with the children of Israel fairly quickly. And he uh, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Beelzebub. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Another, yeah. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us, thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not the world, uh, is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? I don't, I don't remember anybody forcing them to leave. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. It's real easy to get your eyes on yourself. Real easy to get your eyes on yourself when you think you're about to die. So the assumption was that death was death at the hand of the Egyptians. But they may very well have been just going to bring them back. The point I said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? They don't indicate that they're going to kill them. There's a very real possibility that they were going to get their property back. They might have killed some of them. I'm guessing Moses and Aaron. <laughs> but we don't see Moses and Aaron crying out. We see the children of Israel crying out. So was it really better for the, to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness? So you may have seen this. There's, there's a little bit of a, a theme going on out in the, in, in, in the world, in the U.S. today. You, know, you have, you have an, a, a lion in a cage, right? Gets fed but he's caged. Gets vet veterinarian care, but he's caged. You know? He will eventually probably mate or whatever, you know, to, to, to keep, you know, things going, but he's in a cage. Whereas you have another lion that's out in the, in the wilderness in their natural habitat who has no guarantee of food, no guarantee of, or no access really to veterinarian care, no guarantee that they're ever going to propagate or, or have the ability to, to, to have, uh, you know, offspring. Which do you want? You know, most of, the, most of the time it's presented, it's kind of like this is bad and freedom is good, right? America, right? But a lot of people choose this environment because it's a known entity, it's a known quantity. And they will sit in their life looking through the bars, but happy that every so many hours somebody gives them food. And if they start getting a problem, uh, you know, an infection in their eyes, somebody's coming in to put a, give them an eye treatment. Right? Maybe, I, I don't know. Sorry if, I, if that hit close to home on somebody. <laughs> she left. She's mad. She left. But some people 
definitely want freedom. Again, America. But what does this require? This requires faith. This doesn't require faith. The, the, the children of Israel were literally exercising a lack of faith in this moment. So many people want this known with limits versus kind of promises with freedom. Or even freedom with promises. I actually struggled on which went first there. Freedom requires risk and faith. Ministry, making an impact for the Lord, requires risk and faith. William Carey, has a, he's considered the father of modern missions. William Carey said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm afraid of being a really good caged lion because I won't have made an impact for the kingdom. He also said, There are grave difficulties on every hand, and more are looming ahead. Therefore, we must go forward. This was a guy who, in that season, the world was not sending missionaries. And people were pointing their finger at William and Carey, William Carey and saying things like, if the Lord wants to save the heathen, he, is, he has got enough to do it. And William Carey's like, the last time I read my Bible, it said, go ye therefore. And William Carey had a, arguably, look, I mean, William Carey was a guy. He had his issues. If I'm not mistaken, he drug his wife by her hair to the boat. I'm not sure I'm down with that. Like, especially today. Like, like, if one of our guys comes and says, I think I should go to Nairobi to be the pastor, and we, he literally is dragging his wife by the hair to, to the new KCI airport, which is really nice, by the way, then I'm thinking that's maybe a red flag that we shouldn't send him. But William Carey accomplished a lot for the Lord. The Lord used him greatly. But he had to take risks. God places them, the children of Israel, where they only had a choice to trust him or surrender. To trust him or surrender. And we know they weren't ready for a battle. We saw that in chapter 13 and verse 17. That's why they didn't go the direction of the Philistines. The Lord was like, they're not ready for that battle. But they are ready to cross the Red Sea. At the sight of battle, they would have fled or returned. In this case, they had nowhere to go. The Lord literally paints them in a corner so that they are forced to trust Him. Now, a mature believer, a mature believer is ready to stand and fight, and I do mean fight spiritually, not necessarily pull out a, a sword and cut off the, the ear of, the, of the, the guard trying to take Jesus. That's not my point of fighting. But they could have, you know, a mature children of Israel would have prayed and sought the Lord's deliverance. They didn't do that. But a younger believer isn't ready for that. But they need to be instructed on how to fight. How to fight properly in the spiritual battle. So, brings us to our second victory point. Victory principle. If you want deliverance, there will come a time where you must truly choose. Now, we all, I, like, I mean, if you're, if you're a self-respecting Christian, you have Joshua, help me out, what's the verse, that, you know, choose you and whom you this day. Do anybody know the reference? I don't know. Off top. One, nine. One, nine. You have that in your house somewhere. 
I'm, I am joking. I messed up the joke. Like, but but almost like I think we have it, don't we? Don't we have it? In a, like, we have that posted in our house, right? Because I mean, that's after all, that's the way we're choosing. We put it on a little plaque. I think it came from Mardell. <laughs> up on the, that's right, like right there. We chose because we bought, or we're gifted. I guess we were gifted, but we put up this beautiful plaque. That's how we let everybody know we have chosen to serve the Lord. <laughs> But if you really want deliverance, you're going to have to choose. But Joshua 1.9 hasn't happened yet. That doesn't come till much later. The children of Israel have been hemmed in. They are literally between the proverbial rock and hard place. And if you want deliverance, you've got to truly choose. You've got you've to decide, Lord, I'm going to follow you no matter what. I can't see how you're going to come through here. But oh, there's a victory. There's a victory. So there's two things happening in the victory. The parting of the Red Sea and the deliverance of Israel. That's kind of one thing. There's a second thing. You'll see it on your notes here. But in Exodus 14, 13 through 16, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. I'm skipping a little bit. And the children of Israel shall go uh, on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And verse 22, And the children of Israel went in the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the waters were well unto them on the right hand and on their left. And that's very similar in verse 29. It's a, it's a very similar... Uh, so, so the parting of the Red Sea, the deliverance of Israel, is definitely a thing. But at the exact same moment, if you will, the exact same episode, there's a covering of the Red Sea and a judgment of the Egyptians. It's literally a huge component of why the Lord took them this way. In Exodus 14, verse 17 through 18, And behold, I behold, I will harden the heart of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, and upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And even down into verse 23, into 326. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. I think it's interesting that God keeps repeating himself. And it came to pass that in the morning, watch, the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels, that they drove them heavily so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. <coughs> And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. Like literally, yes, it's two aspects. The sea parts so that Israel can get through. But as soon as they do, the Lord shuts it up. Because what he was doing by taking the children of Israel to that point was not just delivering them. Technically, they had already left Egypt. Like technically, they had had the escape. The Exodus. At that point, he was bringing judgment. It was very clear. Like, I don't, I don't think I'm reading into this. He, like, repeats himself. <laughs> I'm going to get honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen because I'm going to judge them. How did this happen? Well, three, three different ways. 
The Lord used the supernatural. He used an angel, the angel of God, in verses 19-20. And the angel of God went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. It was a cloud and darkness to them, the Egyptians, but gave light by night to these, to the children of Israel, so that one came not near the other all the night. He literally uses the angel of God to protect and continue to execute his plan. You want to know how the Lord is at work in your life. There should generally be a supernatural component. That supernatural component may be a piece amongst a lot of people knowing what you're supposed to do. It could be supernatural. It could be, and, and I'm telling you, as a, as a pastor, sometimes there are, are, are literally, I mean, just there are times when I'm like, that's, that person's supposed to do that. Like, wow. And I run it by some of the other guys, and they're like, yeah, I, I mean, the Lord's been really convicting me about that, really laying that person on, on my heart. It's a supernatural thing. I don't know how to say it. Like, there's no, we're not, we're not using a pendulum. Just to be clear. Also, there, there was a little bit of confusion. Sam said this morning he hasn't done that for years. Not, I haven't done that in four years. I think he said 40. Or 40. Okay. But he's not, so just let me be clear. It was like four and a half years ago he wasn't doing that. Like just, let, me just, let me just be clear, right? So, just very clear. So there was, a, there was, a, there was some, some confusion about that. Um, where was I? <laughs> supernatural. <laughs> the Lord will supernaturally work. Sometimes it's through the sale of a house in a moment. Sometimes it's a boss reaching out and saying, have you ever considered, like we need a person in Boston. Have you ever considered, you know, going to Boston or whatever, like fill in the blank. Like I'm just making that up. But there will be a time when God will move supernaturally. You need to be prepared for that. The Lord will also use the natural. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. Now, yes, I, you could argue that the strength of the wind, etc., was supernatural, yes. But he chooses to use the wind, a natural thing. Okay? I don't understand. I am looking forward to the day when I'm in his presence when I can understand how wind can hold back water, that much water, dry out the land so that the children of Israel can get through it and yet they can still walk into the wind. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Okay? But I do trust the Word of God. I trust that that's true. He uses something natural in a supernatural way. Okay? And He will use that situation, or He will use the natural course of events in your life. Sometimes this is referred to as circumstance. So, the, in, in, you know, the pastors, when we consider someone for mission field or for ministry, we're looking to see if there's validation through circumstance. And, you know, making sure that, that they're not, like, kicking against the pricks of whatever's going on in their life, right? The Lord will be using circumstance. And in this case, he uses a natural wind. And he also uses the situational. 
Now, this is a trouble. It's interesting in, in verses 14 through, or I'm sorry, in uh, verses 24 and 25. And it came to pass in the morning that the uh, morning watch that the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels. Again, you could argue that's a supernatural component too, and I, and I hear you. Uh, but he took off their chariot wheels that they drove them heavily. And then I would probably draw the same conclusion. If my chariot wheels, like if I'm part of Pharaoh's army and my chariot wheels all of a sudden fall off or get, get caught and I'm in the midst of the water and they're getting out, I'd be like, I'm out. Right? So he uses the situational. So that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. He literally turns, and in my mind's eye, I, you know, I, it is, it is um, impacted or biased because I've watched the Ten Commandments. What's <laughs> oh, weak? That I watched the Ten Commandments? I mean, Charlton Heston was an incredible actor. Have you ever watched older movies and you're like, wow, those, that's really bad acting. That's really bad acting. But in there, in that representation, obviously Pharaoh and his chariots are following the Egyptians. They get into the deep part of the Red Sea, if you will. And then the children of Israel make it out and then, you know, the waters come down. There is a component of that that I think they're caught. They're, I think they're, they're committed at this point. And the Lord puts a situation on them where they realize this is trouble. I, I got I to gotta go the other way so that they didn't pursue further after the children of Israel. He, he caught them in their own, own situation. So, Lord, I do think we'll use supernatural in your life. I think he'll use the natural, and I think he'll use the situational. Again, these are not hard, fast rules, and I apologize if it's coming across that way, but they're, va they're real validations that the Lord is at work, in this case, in judgment for the nation of Israel. So our last victory principle today, victory principle number three, the Lord will judge and deliver at the exact same time. Amen. That's the amazing component about Jesus. As much as he is a deliverer, he is a judge for those who don't accept his deliverance. The Red Sea is a beautiful picture of both salvation and judgment all at the same time. And what's the difference? People's adherence following the Lord. Right? I mean, Jesus is, is, is just like that. If you've not received Christ as your Savior, He is the greatest condemnation you could ever have. And yet, He did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to save it. But by the sheer nature of you not accepting Christ, you are retaining the condemnation that, that, that God had for you. That, that God had for you because you're a sinner. So the Lord is going to judge and He is going to deliver. It's literally your choice. We will see this again in Revelation. I don't necessarily mean in class, but we will see it in at some. Maybe we'll go through a book of Revelation at some point. But but when the Lord comes back and He leads His army, He is a judge and a deliverer. Again, He will deliver the nation of Israel. 
the remnant of the nation of Israel. This is a pattern for the Lord. And we'll see it as we close in chapter 14, the last two verses of chapter 14. And honestly, this is part of the reason it, it jumped out at me today, or for today's message. Look at verse 30 and 31. We see, uh, we see parallelism. I think I've taught on that a couple of times. It's all the way through Scripture. It often happens. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, semicolon, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. The same sentence is broken into two halves. There's deliverance and judgment. Verse 31, And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people, and I, I think it, I think I got this backward. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So, like, it maybe should have been italicized. And brought, but there's a parallel, right? It's inverse. It's a, um, antithetical. It's in opposite. It's, a, it's in the opposite form, right? But we see in both of those sentences, the Lord save and the Lord judge. The Lord judge and the Lord delivered. So, you have a choice today. You can decide that the things happening around you, your car breaking down, the situation with the bills, situation with work, the situation with family members, the situation with health issues, the situation with whatever it is, fill in the blank. You can choose to think, God, why are you doing this to me? You've brought me into this wilderness and I, there's no... Op- I mean, Lord, I believe in you, but woe is me. Or, you can choose at that point, much like Moses, to know the Lord is going to deliver you and that the Lord is going to use you through that, use those circumstances to bring judgment, to bring accountability, to minister to others. I, I beg you, choose to trust the Lord that He's doing this in your life, not just to shape you and not just to hone you, but to work in the lives of people around you. Now, so, husbands and wives, parents, if you're, ty- if you're on the way home, your tower pops, don't turn to your spouse and go, what's God trying to show you? Because that's not what I'm saying. That's not, you'll be missing the point. You, well, you can. Yeah, you You can. But just know that the Lord is at work and through that situation, through an amazing deliverance, He may be just bringing someone else to an accountability, to a judgment. And that is, to a great degree, the testimony that we have as individuals. Your testimony is an amazing opportunity to bring deliverance to someone. And yet, at the exact same time, it's the judgment that God may use. You share, you share the gospel, you share with somebody what God did in your life, in your heart, how, you, how He saved you, and there will come a day, if they do not accept Jesus Christ, that He will replay those words back in their heart, replay those words back and say, I gave you an opportunity. I gave you an opportunity. It's an amazing two-edged sword. That's what the Word of God is. It judges, and it also refines. It's beautiful. It, 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 this picture is all through Scripture. So I just pray 
that you, as these things happen to you, as you are led of the Lord into the wilderness, and you're up against it, you see Pharaoh coming, you've got a Red Sea in front of you, go forward. Go forward. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I apologize, Lord, for anything that I did to get in the way of the delivery of, of the message that you had. And, and Lord, I, I just pray that it made sense, that people understood the, the very clear principle that is capped in these last two verses, that you provided both a deliverance of Israel, but also a judgment on the Egyptians. So thank you, Lord, for being a God who does offer deliverance. And if there is someone in here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, uh, my, my prayer um, is that you would just use the Holy Spirit to convict them, help them see that they have at least some sin in their life, that something they've done wrong, and that they're unable to pay for that themselves, and that you were willing, you chose to come to this earth and to pay for their sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. And Lord, help them to understand that they need to act on that. They need to talk to me. They need to talk to maybe somebody that brought them. They need to talk to, to, uh, to, to another believer that they can understand um, the deliverance that you've offered. Because Lord, if they don't receive it, the sea is going to collapse on them. And Lord, they're going to be judged and you will receive honor in their death as much as you could have in their salvation. And so Lord, I just pray for, for softened hearts. You said that you hardened the heart of Pharaoh and, and while that wasn't your work, that, that you, you brought around the circumstances that he had a choice and he chose to harden his heart. And, and so Lord, I just pray that they, anybody here does not harden their heart to what you're doing in their life, that they would see that you work through the supernatural, that you work through the natural, and you work through the situational, that they can lean in and go forward. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great day in the Lord. Uh, welcome spring. False, fool's spring. Fool's spring. Yeah.